This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. Welcome back to Ramdas Here and Now. I'm Raghu Marcus. And uh, this a talk that uh, I'm going to play of Ramdas's comes, uh, it's, it's part of the uh, last podcast. It's a continuation of that talk, although completely different. And it's from March 1969. And I'm still fascinated by the fact that I can uh, hear talks of Ramdas's, uh, you know, that uh, not only turn me on, but are, are things that I don't believe that I've heard before. And this one in particular is around energy and uh, service, which sounds like, huh? But uh, he he seamlessly uh, talks about. Well, let's let's just start in the beginning here. And he, I think that the parallel that many of us can easily uh, bridge. Uh, or use is around psychedelics. Uh, you know, when we took psychedelics, we turned tuned into an energy system that was completely and utterly otherworldly. It is not something any of us really had experienced before, at least to a great degree. I mean, I do remember actually um, when I was very young. Uh, having experiences of, of suddenly becoming completely heavy in my body and uh, just remembering that I felt an out-of-body kind of experience. I only recognized that way later when I was actually in India and I started to practice formally meditation. So there was some connection to an energy that I had not experienced before uh, without psychedelics. But I think with psychedelics, we, we, we were completely and easily, uh, f we easily flowed into that universal energy, which is, is existence, of course, in every molecule. And, and Ram Dass talks about it, how awesome it is, you know, to, to feel that kind of energy and feel what's available to a human being. And then the discrepancy is, of course, when it is used in service of ego. Now, the, you know, in being in India, you know, many, 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 many times over many years, uh, you know, I bumped into lots of people, yogis and um, pundits and sadhus who... Many of them had spiritual powers, and they had those powers as a result of, uh, obviously, karma through births and the work, spiritual work that they've done, we suppose, and in this life. And, you know, some of them could read minds if you were sitting right in front of them, and, and uh, you know, they, they could... Uh, I remember once I was with this one uh, yogi, and... Uh, he was reading people's minds, and I thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna trick him, and I just kept repeating a mantra in my head, Ram, 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 and then sure enough, the guy looks at me and goes, Ram, Ram, Ram. So there's plenty of spiritual powers, and 
that are uh, available to people who have done some serious, serious uh, spiritual practices. Now, a lot of the time they're in service of their ego. I mean, you know, aggrandizing them in some way or allowing people to come serve them in some way, gathering more students and disciples and so on and so forth. There's a very, very subtle edge when it gets to a certain level. Um, so Ramdas talks about that and he refers to uh, the monkey god Hanuman, who is an emblem of having, you know, the nth degree of spiritual power. He could make his body as big as a, you know, as a mountain or as small as a gnat. And there's all these stories in the Ramayana, which is a, a wonderful, um, you know, one of the great spiritual texts of India, and all about uh, Ram coming to earth as king and how he got banished to the force. His wife got stolen by the demons and he enlisted the help of Hanuman. Who had, who was completely powerful because he had subjugated his ego. He was no longer interested in himself. He was only interested in service. So, uh, in the process of, of this, and, and this is a great uh, point here. Uh, Ram Dass talks about the process of tuning into all the energy in the, in the universe. So, uh, it's all part of you and it's extricating you from you. And that's what non-attachment means. So once you identify with this energy, uh, you, you suddenly become less identified. And you know, this is all a process, a process of thousands of lifetimes. Uh, but in this lifetime that we are in, you absolutely can feel an evolvement of identifying with this energy and not and no longer uh completely identifying with with ego um and and as he says hanuman doesn't sit around saying i am hanuman and i am powerful he uh exists only to serve god and and you know juxtapose juxtapose this concept with our Western model of identity and individuality, that you are a somebody that is doing a something. And as long as you are a somebody, you are dealing with a finite amount of energy that is able to function through somebody. So only when you become nobody can you have all the energy in, in the universe or be completely one with that. And, of course, that's the paradox, as he says. Um and and in the system of bhakti yoga um that identity with the energy of the universe and one could call it god one could call it uh, in the buddhist tradition pure mind but you become just that breath so there's stories uh, and he mentions here of of uh, our guru uh, maharaji nimkaroli baba um one in particular that he mentions here, which is really kind of cute. Uh, Maharaji used to go around to devotees' houses, and he'd go from one house to the next and have these big meals and just completely uh, engage all of the devotees in in one fell swoop. 
for, you know, for a couple of hours. And in this one case, uh, this one family decided, uh, I guess the rationale was we don't want anybody bothering him all the time. So we're going to lock the door. Of, so he went in his room and they ate and so on. And, and they figured he'd stay for the night. So they locked the door to the room so nobody could get in, assuming also that Maharaji couldn't get out. And then, uh, you know, uh, at some point early in the morning, they went to check and open the door to see if he needed anything. And he was not there. And next, you know, and then someone said, oh, he's out there in, in, in the forest. And we saw him walking along the road early this morning. So obviously he could take, and he did this many, many, many times. He, he was able to uh, completely change his molecules and be able to walk through the door or the walls or whatever he did, which sounds incredibly uh strange but the truth is uh, you know and and this is um directly i should assume that i um, let's say that i have no idea of the truth i have ideas of what points to the truth and the truth is only can be experiential and certainly not in the mind uh but you know, here's the explanation of the transformation of body cells. Uh, Maharaji being completely identified with the energy of the universe, his mind creates matter because he is in that particular relation to energy where that can happen. And since energy underlies matter, he is in the position to reorganize matter according to his will. Whose will? And not my, but thy will, O Lord. That's the key. Obviously, Maharaji needed to take that act of walking through those walls in order to serve somebody. Somebody needed that experience for faith or whatever. Who knows? But uh, so this isn't uh, science is starting to prove out all of this stuff, by the way. His Holiness the Dalai Lama is spending a lot of time working with scientists to substantiate the experiences that uh, the Tibetans have uh, understood for for centuries, you know, thousands of years. And uh, this is, uh, I think, as close to any kind of intellectual answer you can give to anybody who says, what about miracles? How do they happen? And I, I do believe this whole talk Ramdas gives around energy and how we identify with it and, but not with the ego, I think is uh, spectacular, really. Uh, it's, uh, uh, for, for all of us who keep having that question in the mind, I think this is a wonderful, wonderful, uh, talk. Um, I want to mention something. So I'm going to play this talk now. Uh, I have to mention something uh, that I'd like to ask all of you to participate in, and that is we at the Love Server Member Foundation are uh, have a big fund drive uh, crowdfunding, uh, not through Kickstarter or Indiegogo, but through 
uh, a partner of ours named Urgency Network, and we are trying to, or not trying, I think this is going to happen. I'm very confident that we'll get uh, everyone's support here to fund a digital media library, which includes just this kind of, you know, these talks. Now, I had this cassette, and of course, we had this cassette digitized so that we could bring this to you. Now, we have, there's literally a couple of thousand hours. I mean, we're talking 45, 50 years, not just of Ramdas, but of Ramdas and many, many, many uh, preeminent teachers from Deepak Chopra to Allen Ginsberg. Um, that we need to not only digitize, but we need to then meta tag and have uh, descriptions and um, cut out the, the most important parts. Like if somebody wanted to know, how the heck does these miracles happen? Well, you know, what's energy? We could give just this piece of this lecture, make it available as uh, you know, so the search engine would be able to find it when someone plugged in energy or miracles. So we need your help. If you go to urgencynetwork.com slash be here now, you will be taken to the page and you can uh, there's rewards. Uh, there is just uh, actions you can take so that you actually will get uh, a chance to win a three-day retreat with Ramdas early next year in February in Maui, all expense paid for two. So that is the um, that that's what the offer is. But we would love for you not only to come in and uh, you know donate. We're trying to raise fifty thousand dollars, but at the same time, if you could spread the word through your social networks and your friends and so on. That would be wonderful. So uh, this is just started uh, this week, and uh, it'll run for a couple of months. So here we go. I appreciate you all and uh, the support we're getting. And here is Ramdas, here and now. Imagine there is a huge energy reservoir that is the physical universe, since it is all energy. I mean, you know, that is energy. It's just energy in a certain state. It's a certain pattern of energy. That is energy. It's just energy in a certain pattern. Energy, certain pattern. Energy, certain pattern. Energy, certain pattern. It's all energy. And you get into finer and finer, finer and finer, and you get into, uh, into uh, negative infinity, and you get into the finest, finest places where you are, where all the energy is just solid energy. It's the same unit. It's so fine. It's just pure energy. Now, who are you in this whole drama of energy? Well, from one level of seeing it, when you are able to meditate and get free of this particular take of reality, 
you begin to see other human beings as very much like cloud formations or, or like um, collections or focal points of energy. Focal points of energy. Now, when you have a very constricting type of model for handling energy, that model defines, A, which energy you can use from the universe and how it can be expended and what it's got to pass through in the system. But let's say you surrender that whole game so that you just become part of it all, part of it all. You become a splash. Just become now under these conditions, the constriction starts to be dissipated, and as you continue to do this kind of opening process, as the veil of ego, as the cloud of ego thins and thins and thins, what you experience is two things. First, you experience that you are in connection with much more energy than you thought you were. And next, you notice that, that once you have calmed your mind, you can direct that energy so that you can really start to feel that you are much more forceful, if you will. It's called a siddhi or a power. Now, what has happened to many people through the use of psychedelics and through other means, but primarily through the use of psychedelics, is that they have tuned in on these energy systems before they could know what to do with them. Now, when you tune in on this energy system, for example, you find you need two hours of sleep a night. That's plenty. You can't stay down any longer. And if you can't pass it through you, if you're not pure enough to pass it through you, it sort of gets stuck in there and you get into this kind of manic, hyperactive, type state. You see this a lot with people, for example, who use amphetamines. That kind of like, it's all happening so fast and you can't slow it down. It's going faster and faster and faster. My mind's thinking quicker and quicker. And it's all happening so fast. So much energy. So much energy. And that's just because it all happens sort of lopsided a little bit. Lopsided. But what's awesome is, is what kind of energy is available to a human being. But of course, only when he is not ego, when he's not primarily ego. Now go back to Hanuman. Hanuman has the capacity that when he is searching for Sita, he comes to an ocean that has to be crossed, and he makes his body as big as the ocean so he can step across it so big that he can hold the sun in one hand. And then he's crossing the ocean and a huge sea monster is in the ocean whose job it is to, uh, what she does is she catches the shadow of birds in her mouth 
and then the bird can't fly on without its shadow, it's stuck. <laughs> I mean, these are such fun. To <laughs> and so she catches Hanuman, and, she's, and it's like a test for Hanuman. And Hanuman says, Honorable Mother, uh, look, I'll come back and play with you later. I've got to go get Sita out of this scene because I'm serving Ram. And she says, no, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to eat you. And she opens her mouth this wide and he makes himself this wide. And she opens her mouth this wide and he makes himself... She opens her mouth <laughs> 10 leagues wide and he makes himself 50 leagues wide. Then he makes himself very tiny and he goes in and out of her mouth. And he says, I did it. And she says, you've done it. You've passed the test. I am a servant of Ram's. I wish you luck. And on he goes. Well, all that sounds pretty weird. A monkey sitting around holding the sun, and it's all like, man, I mean, if you believe that, you believe the Red Sea opened up. The whole process of tuning in on all of the energy of the universe so it all is part of you is extricating you from you. Simple as that. That's what non-attachment means. That's what renunciation means. I mean, you can be, you can be buttering toast you can be lifting a rock, you can be making love. Who's buttering the toast? Who's lifting the rock? Who's making love? Buddha says, there is no doer. If you think there is a doer, you are still caught in the wheel of birth and death. Hanuman doesn't sit around saying, I, Hanuman, He doesn't sit around saying, I, Hanuman. Hanuman exists, he exists only to serve Ram. He exists only to serve Ram. Now, think, just start to juxtapose this with our Western model about ego and identity and individuality and doing your thing and developing your, your social presence. The identity crisis of Eric Erickson must be passed through until you know who you are, until you're somebody. You're somebody. See the problem? Tricky problem. Because as long as you're somebody, you're dealing with a finite amount of energy that is able to function through somebody. Only when you become nobody do you have all the energy. That's the paradox. That's the way it works. So the way the system of bhakti yoga is set up, you see, is that in this particular sect I'm in, my guru spends all his time serving God. And he is so pure that like Hanuman, he is nothing but the breath of Ram. That is, there's nobody there. There's nobody there. And therefore, he is pure energy. He is pure energy. 
I mean, most of the stories about the guru I don't tell because I, it feels too far out. It feels inappropriate. Inappropriate. But there are, at one point the guru is having darshan in a small village and the man whose home he's in feels very badly because so many people are coming to the guru and he, he, everybody, all of the guru's devotees are into protecting the guru. You see, it couldn't matter less to the guru because he's nobody. And if you didn't watch him, he's just got a blanket, he'd drift off into the woods and nobody might see him again. So all of the devotees are into holding him because he's a big deal, you know, and like, let's hold on to him because he's our connection. Like, you know, keep the connection cool. You take care of him today, I'll take care of him tomorrow, bring him food. You know, because just to be near him is like being around the sun. That's what it feels like, the sun. So they put him in this room with no windows, and they locked the door and left him there so he, you know, they, so the people wouldn't bug him for a while. That was in the head of the devotee. <laughs> and a few hours later, somebody came rushing up to the devotee saying, why did you let the guru out, Maharaji? Well, he's two miles down the road walking off towards the jungle. Door was locked. Key was in the guy's pocket. No windows. I'm not going to explain it. I mean, I can tell you about, about transformation of body and cells and all this kind of, I can explain it to I can explain it to you, but it's really not relevant, except to say that his mind creates matter because he is in the relation to energy and since energy is what underlies matter, he is in the position of being able to reorganize matter according to the will of his head. Whose will? Not my, but thy will, O Lord. That's what the Bible says. That's the key. Not my, but thy will, O Lord. In other words, obviously there was something to be done two miles down the road. Now, in the system in India, there is only one male in the universe, and that is God. And everything else is female in relation to it. Not feminine, female, yin-yang, in the sense of it is receptive, the passive, open, ah, type thing. This, it's this. an interesting trip for Western male to go on. I mean, <laughs> hard, the hard. It's funny what that word surrender means. See what the word surrender is starting to mean? I mean, what you're really giving up, you're giving up your whole trip. I mean, you've been prepared for that trip all these years. You've engineered it, you've organized it. Tim, Tim, my old buddy, Tim Leary, used to say it 
he'd say, isn't it terrible? He'd say, everybody is up in the, in the control cabin of the ship, running the ship, and nobody's down dancing. What a drag. So at one point, we decided we'd run a community experiment at Millbrook, and we set the scene up so that we figured, well, there are, at that time, there were um, 12 of us. So we figured, how many people does it really take to run this whole scene? Well, four is ample. Four people can order the milk, get out the psychedelic review, deal with all the bill collectors, keep the police cool, so on. The other eight, why should they have to sit around making all these decisions every day? So they became the monks and the four became the abbots. And it was a rotating abbot tree so that every two weeks there was a shift over and some people you'd get about a six-week gig as a monk. And as a monk, every morning, it was a very interesting experience, every morning you'd wake up and somebody would say, you'll wear that today, you'll eat this, today you'll work in the cornfield, now you will rest, now you will eat, now you can... How far out! A Western individual me with my PhD giving up my decision-making ability you know, to some skitsy chick who's telling me now you will put on blue denims, now you will go to the field and plant corn. I mean, can I trust her? Who knows what she might do to my head, where she might take me. very interesting experience, the experience of surrender. Well, I know I was supposed to plant corn, but I really ought to get the... Who's in control of the ship? You or me? You are. Plant corn. Plant corn. Not only plant corn, but be here while you're planting the corn. Don't be thinking about the book you're writing. We intellectuals have a slight, you know, sickness that way. When Tim went off to India, he left me with Millbrook, and I was left with an odd assortment of, of unusual people say the least. His mother-in-law is, you know, I mean, just a whole scene of people, his children, and a lot of people he picked up along the way. And there we were, a community. And it was getting cold for the winter, and everybody sort of wanted to hang out for the winter. And I met with everybody, and there was one chick there who was a gal who had come to work for one of the people in the community originally, who was very rich originally. very complicated and the girl had come up from the south by bus one of those you pay the bus fare and you get the the help the help so we met as a group and we said all right here we are and she says i'm not here i just work here (laughs) sorry baby no servants well where am i going to go where you can stay but you can't be a servant Well, she freaked completely. Because 
she didn't condone all our nonsense, and as long as she was a servant, she could disapprove. <laughs> servant problem. Servant problem. <laughs> servant problem. Surrender. My early part of the travels in India when I was traveling with my guru brother, we were walking from temple to temple. And he knew the ropes. He had been in India for five years. And it was natural that he would say, well, we'll eat this and we'll stay here. I mean, it was, I was, I got into it very gently. I mean, I had a rationale to allow it to happen. To allow somebody else to take over my life. I mean, this was okay. It was like a moratorium. I mean, I'd been so big and responsible all these years, I could turn it off for a little while. Lest ye become as little children, ye cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you start again, become that trusting, open, surrendered being. The energy can't come in. The energy can't come in. That's the kingdom of heaven, the energy. It's the same thing. Cosmic consciousness, you name it, same thing. Consciousness equals energy equals love, equals awareness, equals light, equals life equals wisdom, equals beauty, equals truth, equals purity. It's all the same trip, all the same. Any trip you want to go leads to the same place. Purify enough, immerse, become beauty enough. Become it. Become it. The potter who becomes his pot Embrace the 10,000 beautiful visions and the 10,000 horrible visions. Become one with the universe and then all of the energy passes through you. You are all of the energy. You are all of the energy. How do you do it? How do you do this trip? I mean, when anybody comes to see me, anybody, anybody who comes in the door, 
I offer them tea. I light incense and I say to the guru, allow me to serve you in the person of the being who's just come. I feel very much like Ram's guru who says to Ram, thank you for letting me do this thing for you because this is my method. Das, das, das oham, I am servant. Das oham. And I do my mantra until I cool myself out and get myself perfectly centered. And then when I can say it with full conviction and with complete openness and without being cute, which is hard because I'm a beginner and I got lots of ego. I mean, you are as hip an audience as I could ever conceive talking with. And you and I both know where we are at. And I stand in a way naked before you. There's no attempt to say I'm a realized being. I mean, all of this, all of the fancy halo and the beard and the dress and all the business is not to come on like being somebody else. I can only be where I am because you only teach by being the truth is directly perceivable to anybody that's listening. And any, I found this out a few years ago when I used to speak to people like people in the village of the Haight-Ashbury, places like this, I found out that the least impurity I tried to cover up sent out a vibration and everybody understood. And I could be nowhere but where I am each moment. So I have to say my mantra until I can say to the person, how may I serve you and mean it? because I have got to look at that person and see that that person is Ram. That person is God. Now, when I say you, it's, a, it's like a technicality and it almost feels like a cop-out, but it isn't. It's a very profound implication about who you is and who I is. It's like Ram saying to Hanuman, saying to Ram, how may I serve you? Because as long as you and I are in the illusion of duality, as long as you and I think we're different, what will be our social role? Well, our social role will be that of service. If we know who we really are, we know that we are one being. And then, as Hanuman says, when I don't know, when the cloud is there, I serve Ram. When the cloud is lifted, I am Ram. That's the way it works. And I look at another person and all I see now, this is very hard, because everybody's the same person to me. And what I really see is more or less light, more or less light within a series of cloudy veils, which I can see as individuality. Now, I haven't lost my ability to discriminate. I can say man, woman, old, young, smart, you know, hung up, Neurotic. I got all my categories. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a highly skilled, trained discriminator. That's how you become, you know, like a, an establishment man. And I'm very good at it. Extremely good at it. 
And this doesn't mean I lost that capacity to do that by any means. It's merely a figure ground reversal such that what I look at is I just look for the light. I look for the light. And then what I am doing is saying to the light, how may I serve you? Now, if somebody says, well, you can serve me by... I want you to spend 14 hours doing this for me. In other words, asking a game contract. Then we will explore it together. This is where it sounds cop-up, because I am not saying, how in the melodrama may I serve you? I am saying, how may I serve you in the journey we are on to bring us to the light? Because that's the only thing I do, is work on, a, on this journey. But within that, it might be any kind of service, because it doesn't matter. Because whatever you're doing, when you've got this model going, you're doing the same thing. When you're, when you're living in a community or in a family, when you're cleaning the, the behind of a child, when you're changing a diaper, when you're feeding, when you're loving, when you're dealing with a scraped knee, when you're, when you're supporting somebody who's hung up because they're so caught in their world of games, they can't see their way out, and you're just being there with them, how may I serve you? You're serving God at every moment. That's what's making life that is profane sacred. That's the operation. That's karma yoga. That's karma yoga. That's karma yoga. I mean, but those people demand all of my time. Who? Who? Who's them and who's I? Who's my time? What is your time worth? What are you about? Well, my time is worth $20 an hour. How poignant. How poignant. How much an island unto yourself. How little energy if your life is only worth $20 an hour. My life is worth everything and nothing. Both. My time is valueless. It's invaluable. It's invaluable. You just can't estimate what my life is worth. What any moment is worth is every moment is an eternal moment. And if I am pure enough, it's all energy. Less hedgy but faith he could move mountains, said Jesus. Well, if I have enough faith and I can move a mountain, boy, it costs a lot to move a mountain these days, I'll tell you. <laughs> And see, I can do it with a thought, and the thought takes a second. Well, look at what my time is worth. <laughs> I mean, in money and banking, in cosmic money and banking, <laughs> all kinds of games to be played. But remember the paradox. You've got to give it all up to have it all. You see, the servant is that of surrender, the role of surrender. I mean, I go to New Hampshire, and there is my father, who has a number of hobbies. He's a very rajas person. He does lots of stuff. You know, he's always doing something. He's hammering something, or printing something, or shoveling something, or, you know. And I see he's doing things that are like, 
I don't know what they are. I mean, they're just things. But then so is everything else. <laughs> so I come along and I say, uh, how may I serve you? And he says, well, would you hold this? <laughs> so I hold it. I went through a funny take recently. I got um, last fall about this issue. It gets very far out at some point. I got a letter from um, from Nat Lerman of Playboy, and um, he said they had had a questionnaire, a psychological questionnaire in Playboy about the sexual habits of, of uh, men. And they wanted to do one about the sexual habits of women, and they knew, I mean, I was a really good psychologist, and would I do the questionnaire for them? Right. Now, here I am, a sexual renunciate, in a dress, I mean, just the person playboy, you know, should ask to do their questionnaire about the, the bed habits of women. How may I serve you? That was the trip I went on. How may I serve you? And I knew that if I did that thing in order to bring enlightenment to the people who would take the questionnaire, Playboy would not accept it. So I wrote and I told them the problem. I said, would you ask Christ to do this? <laughs> Then I said, if you had, he probably wouldn't, because he could do it. But where I'm at, I can't do it yet. Because the purest being, you see, can with whatever service he does, make the purest statement all the time, because he can't make anything but a pure statement, no matter what he's doing. I mean, what is very beautiful is to find a guy who who took a lot of acid and got all uptight and all, all strung out on amphetamines and went through the whole trip and now you find him and he was in the Haight-Ashbury and he was all weird and you were dealing with him in the middle of the night and all kinds of hysteria and mental hospitals and the drama. <laughs> and then a few years later you, you get a note from him. He's living with his chick in a little country town. He's the postman. Right? He's the postman. And he says, it's such a groove to go on my route every day. It's a groove to go on my route every day. Before Satori, you chop wood and carry water. After Satori, you chop wood and carry water. You mean you went through college to become a postman? But then I meet a guy who is a, a nuclear physicist, but a very high being who's being a nuclear physicist. 
And that's what is emerging very slowly. It's not that the outside drama changes. It's not that families aren't created. It's not that business doesn't go on. It's not that legal problems don't exist. It's not that society doesn't have its games and rules and laws. It's the question of how conscious are the beings that are doing it. Because if a person has surrendered their ego, then they do what is in harmony with the universe. And what does that mean specifically? What is the harmony and what is the universe? The universe is your biochemistry. It's your skills. It's your heredity. It's your environment. It's all of the forces acting upon you at that moment. It's all of the moral possibilities around you. That's all part of what the harmony of the universe is. I recall Isaac Stern, the violinist, saying to me, if I take LSD, will I still want to play the violin? I mean, I earn my bread playing the violin, and, you know, I make a lot of people happy. If I take LSD, maybe I won't be able to play the violin anymore. I said to him, Isaac, if you're playing the violin for the right reasons, you'll be a better violinist afterwards. And if you're not, you won't. Simple as that. Because everything which is impure must be burned out. Everything might. In dealing with flax, you have to let rot away all of the stuff before you've got the pure stuff you can weave with. It's all got to be rotted away, and all the impurity has got to be burned out of the system. That is the work that I am doing. It's the only work to do, as I understand it. There's nothing else to do. I mean, what I'm doing here may be useful to you, and it may not be. I'm doing it as a purification exercise on myself, because there's nothing else to do but keep working on myself, because all I have to offer to any other being is my own purity, is my own being, is my own state of existence. And I realize that the less ego there is, the more there is to offer. That's the funny thing about it. This podcast has been brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate all the support for the Foundation and for Ramdas's work, and we hope that you will continue that support. You can go to Ramdas.org and click on the Donate Now button and follow the prompts. Thank you.